Well, we begin our new series today, new in 2019, called Step Up and Step Out, focusing today on where the gospel still needs to be preached. And you heard in that video that even here in Middle Tennessee, there are families, there are neighborhoods, there are pockets of community and and even small towns and cities where we need a fresh sense and a fresh wave of how the gospel not only is spoken, but how it's embodied, how it's lived out in that community. And so I'm so excited about this series. If, you, if you're connecting the dots, you know uh, one of our series last year was Next Steps, and we invited you to make some commitments, and, and some of those are being followed up upon now in these, this month and in the coming weeks uh, as we got through the holidays. And this series is intended to kind of help us process that and, and look ahead into 2019 and think, God, how will you reorient my life? How will you help me to be focused in, in what you're doing, not only with this church family, but just who I am in the everyday of life? And so today we kind of dive into this series, hoping to head in that direction. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Romans 15, Romans 15, and we're going to look at a couple verses here. We'll refer back to these verses, and then we'll also uh, look a little bit earlier in this chapter as we move through the sermon today. But in Romans 15, verse 20, it's uh, Romans 15, verse 20, it says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful. Grateful for your word. Grateful that your spirit has not only preserved it, but continued to to allow it to breathe life into us. To continue to tell the story of who you are and who we are because of who you are. And may we not only think about that story for ourselves, but God, even this week, would you allow us to live out that story? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So when I was in seminary, uh, I took a class on Romans. And then I dropped it to, because I moved in the middle of it, and I got to retake it. And I have to be honest with you, I was actually very excited to drop the class. Because the first day of class, 
the professor got up to tell me and to tell the class that Romans was the systematic theology book of the Bible. And in case you don't care about what in the world systematic theology is, let me just tell you, it's when we come up with a system of thinking about God that helps us try to answer as many of the questions and the mysteries as possible. I had always heard my dad joke with the systematic theology people and faculty, as my dad was a New Testament professor there, and I had always heard him joke with the systematic theology guys on faculty that he couldn't wait for the day that they would move over from systematic theology to biblical theology. They did not take that joke very well. It's interesting because when I got to retake the class, I actually got to take my dad. And that was fun. It was the only class I took of his in my seminary time. And it was interesting because I I already had some of my own opinions about Romans, but I didn't think I knew everything about it and still don't. But the one thing I really appreciated about how dad taught it was that he challenged us to understand that the the church of Rome had forgotten why they existed and that Paul needed to write them to remind them. I would suggest to you that this letter that we call Romans, it was intended to be read as a whole. We're only looking at two verses today. But I would suggest to you that this letter is not just a good theology book. It it is more than that. It it has great theology in it, but it's more than that. It, It is a letter to a church family, a group of people in the city of Rome who had decided to withdraw themselves from engaging in culture. Historians tell us that they had ghettoed themselves away from the norms of the Roman culture, trying to retreat and find the safest haven they could that would allow their way and ideas of existence to forward and to prosper. Now that seems like maybe even a godly idea. But I would suggest to you that based on what Paul says to them, It's not a godly idea at all. The word ghetto that I used, right, in international culture, that means something a little bit different than where I grew up in inner city New Orleans. In international culture, it it means an area of town, basically, where people of similar or like backgrounds have kind of huddled together. So when I'm in Montreal, for instance, there's one little part of town that all of the Orthodox Jews seem to live in. And so you can go to the bagel shop there, you can go to a restaurant there, and you always see someone dressed in very conservative and Orthodox Jewish garb, sometimes even some Old Testament type 
of things. That's what this was like. They, it was a group of people who decided, we're going to ghetto ourselves. And historians tell us that, that it was a, a neighborhood that starts with a T. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because in that time it was called a certain thing. And I don't exactly know how they pronounced it. But in this neighborhood, in this ghetto, they had withdrawn... And instead of engaging with the culture, were trying themselves to preserve a way of life. And, and in the process, began to think a little too highly of themselves. I don't know that the American church ever meant for that to happen. But in some pockets of America, the American church has done something very similar. We've, we've used the places that we can gather together and the pockets of community that we call friends oftentimes as just our Christian community. And we sometimes become more fervent about fighting for the preservation of the Christian community than we do about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is trying to remind the Roman church and would remind us today that the gospel of Jesus that we think everyone else needs, we ourselves need just as much. And yet, it's been given to us. So what will we do with it? What a challenge for us. I'm so thankful that the church at Harpeth Heights has existed for years in this community, and in multiple ways you've tried to be the church together in this community, and I'm excited about the future of how you will continue to be the church in this community. And I hope you're excited that we're a part of a church family that's committed to trying to get the gospel where it hasn't been preached and the name of Jesus where he hasn't been named. Just so you know, among our international missionaries that Brentwood Baptist and our family of churches support, we have over 50% of them that are in areas that are considered unreached or unengaged with the gospel. 50% of our international partnerships, and there's numerous of them, are in those types of settings. But our lead pastor, Mike, has said that in the Middle Tennessee Initiative, our vision and our hope is not only to continue to commit to take the gospel there, but to do the best that we can individually and collectively to embody and proclaim the gospel here in Middle Tennessee in new and fresh ways because so much of our culture of Middle Tennessee is changing. And there are numerous people moving here every day, and many who've grown up here, who have only heard a variation of the gospel or maybe have never heard it at all. And so whether it's here in your everyday life or whether it's somewhere else, we want to take the gospel where it hasn't been preached. Now think about it. Paul, writing this letter to them, right in chapter 1, he, 
He, he tells them that there's a group of folks out there in culture that are going to be judged. And then in chapter 2, he turns right around and says, and guess what? You're no different or better. And in chapter 3, he then says to them, and here's the deal. Here's what the gospel really means and how broken we all really are. And in chapter 4, here's what Abraham and, and his crew were up to and why God even called him out. And in chapter 5, here's how that began to translate itself through all of the ups and downs. We rejoice even in our tribulations that he is our hope. And in chapter 6, continuing that message of how the gospel comes to relate to us. And in chapter 7, Paul himself even saying, here's how the gospel has engaged in my life with me, and I do things I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I do, and and who's going to save me from this? And the first verse of chapter 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says, we've been adopted as sons, and we are more than conquerors, And nothing can separate us from his love. And then in 9, 10, and 11, he tells the story of how God gave that original promise to Abraham and his family and his people and how many of them had turned so much in on developing their own righteousness that they forgot the calling to give the nation and to give the name of God to the nation so that they themselves might find righteousness in him as well. And then in 12, 13, and 14, he begins to apply what that would look like if they re-engaged in culture. And then in chapter 15, he comes to this place where he says, we're up to this, we've got to do this together. The first verse of this chapter, he says, specifically, I thought it was interesting. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. And then look with me at verse 14. He says, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to instruct one another. Do you hear what he's saying? He said, you, you, you guys are good. You've worked on that. You're smart. You've worked on that. You're able to teach each other. You've worked on that. Nevertheless, I've written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Spirit. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying to those Jews, many of them who had trusted Christ, don't keep pulling yourself away and trying to preserve something. Boldly go and be light in the darkness together and you will see the work of God and the hand of God like never before. And that's not just collective, it's individual. And so he says to them in verse 20 again, my aim is to preach 
the gospel where Christ has not been named. What if that became a prayer of ours? What if we surrendered this morning to reorient our entire lives around the idea that I need the gospel of Jesus Christ and I want to invite as many others along with me to learn it too? And for most of us, that as many doesn't probably need to be more than one, two, or three. I mean, even the Son of God decided to focus on 12, and some suggest he really focused on three, and those three helped him with the other nine. But could you imagine, could you imagine if in this next year you experienced your greatest season of maturing in Christ because you decided to join him in speaking of the gospel that causes us to even have the chance to mature. You committed to join him in that. Many of you already have committed to that, to giving that gospel to someone else, to being a disciple maker, to sharing that news with someone else. And that's not easy. I want you to know, in case it helps and encourages you, that I've got degrees and training and certifications and all the other fancy things you want to say and all that stuff, and I still get nervous anytime. I'm very keenly aware that God's giving me the chance to share the gospel with someone. I still get afraid. I still wonder, will I say the right thing? What if I don't know? I, I still, even with friends, as I'm walking with them, those are the gospel conversations that are more the norm, people that we have ongoing relationship with. And as I do, I still get nervous. But I wonder if, if we reoriented our lives and just begged God even for one person this year. Just one. God, would you allow me to invite along someone who doesn't know you into a friendship, not because they're a project, but because your love is too good to keep to myself. And we don't fully know who we are without knowing who he is. And so will we reorient our lives around this idea that Paul was driven by to proclaim the gospel where Jesus hasn't been named. That may be a neighbor. Maybe he's not named in their house. That may be a coworker, and they name Jesus all the time. It's just in a different way. It's called slang, right, if you know what I'm talking about? But maybe they don't name him in the way of who he really is. Maybe it's a family member, and those are even more difficult. And it may be that some of you, God's moving and asking you to go somewhere else, to take his gospel somewhere else. But what I hope you understand is that this isn't about you becoming a full-time missionary or not or becoming a pastor or not, or needing seminary or not. 
Our stepping up and stepping out is all about us simply living our lives with Jesus and inviting others along with us to discover Jesus and who they really are as well. And that can be done in the simplest of ways. But I hope what you're hearing this morning is that Paul isn't remembered because he was so effective, because some would argue his effectiveness. But I'm telling you, I think he was remembered because nothing else moved him the way that Jesus moved him. Will you and I reorient our lives to commit to the gospel being named where Jesus is not being named? One final question I'll ask you. I wonder, I wonder if we recognize that our maturing in Christ actually depends upon our multiplying with Christ. You see, what Paul is saying to them in this letter is you can focus so much on your own goodness that you miss the goodness of God and giving his goodness to someone else. And I wonder if we realize that we'll never be ready to do that. We become more and more ready as we do that. It's like parenting, right? Like I, I, nobody, nobody said to me, here is the book to read, Jace, and you're going to read this, and then you can have as many kids as you want. Right? I mean, no, I mean, just being candid, I had never changed the diaper in my life. And glory be to God, I think this last week I changed my last one of my kids. I mean, it's been 17 years of it, man, I'm telling you. We got seven, and the littlest is just learning how to potty train, and whoo, glory, hallelujah. But you've got to understand, I didn't know how to parent, and I still don't. I had to learn how to parent by parenting. And I may not fully understand how to make disciples, but I never will until I do. There is no way to be ready to do that. You don't mature and then multiply. We only mature as we multiply. And so resurrection life has been given to you. To whom will it be given through you? Again, read Paul's words. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. And then he quotes Isaiah. And any time writers in that day quoted Isaiah or quoted anyone, 
they weren't just quoting that one verse. They were referring people back to the passage as a whole. And you know this passage, right? Because Isaiah 53, the one right after chapter 52, which is what he quotes here, Isaiah 52 verse 15, he quotes that and he's referring to this, this whole section about the, the, what this Yeshua, this Jesus would do. And he's saying this Yeshua, this Jesus, he was to be proclaimed to the nations and they were to come to faith and understanding the way that we have. And so again, you've been given the gospel. To whom will it be given through you? Cal's going to come and we're just going to take a moment to pray as we close. And I would just ask that that would be your prayer and your yearning. Would you say, God, even the things that I'm struggling in, I know I'll find more of you as I go with you and do more of what you're doing. And so let's pray. And will you just simply ask God, reorient my life around your mission, Jesus. Reorient my life. I've been given life. Help me to give it with you. Let's take a few minutes to pray.